0: Grace, mercy, and peace be yours from God, our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus says that in our gospel lesson today. We nod our heads to that. We agree with that like any good Christian would and should. But how often do you and I fall into the same value system of our highly decadent consumer-driven culture? More than we care to admit Where we come from, the name of the game is materialism. Work harder, acquire more wealth, get more stuff, rinse, and repeat. It's about keeping up with the Joneses as we avert our eyes from the poor in our communities. And it's one thing if it exists out there in the culture, but it's quite another whenever it creeps into the church. Religious holidays that are supposed to commemorate the most important events in the life and ministry of Jesus are turned into marketing ploys for the corporations. The reason why they have you convinced that Christmas and Easter are about family and are not about receiving the Lord's gifts and holy worship is because they can make more money off of you that way. Have you ever seen a a, a Christmas commercial celebrating people coming to church? No, what are they doing? Gifts. Gifts. Family, those things, they can make money that way. We deify money. We deify it. We make a God out of it. And that's what Jesus was getting at in Luke chapter 16. A better translation is you cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon. That's this term. That's what you get whenever you turn money into a God. It's a God, a false God called mammon. So what might that look like in your life? I'm going to pull the magnifying glass in here. Ready? Are money and finances the, the main source of tension in your marriage? Are money and finances the thing that keeps you up at night? Are they what you daydream about, even when you sit in the divine service? Do you have little regard for the poor and the needy? Do you refuse to share what you have with anyone else? It's a sad thing indeed for us baptized Christians, for us to be enslaved by this imposter God, this mammon. And the true God, the God of the Bible, wants to free us from that false God. That's what he intends to do. And I'm not simply talking about you putting more money into the generosity box or more in the offering plate or what have you. That's not what this is about although stewardship for the glory of God is an important part of your discipleship, what I am talking about is the sacrificial, cross-bearing life that our Lord calls us to, which is free from the attachment to material wealth and goods. The good life. So stick with me as we examine our Old Testament lesson today. Because our situation is uncomfortably close, uncomfortably close to that of what was happening in the day of the prophet Amos. Chapter eight, he's addressing some serious stuff. Amos was a farmer, uh, something of a businessman in the southern kingdom of Judah. That's where he grew up, that's where he did his work, until one day the Lord called him out of that vocation and into another. God gave him the office of prophet, and he wasn't going to get to stay in his homeland in the south, but he was rather sent into the north, into Israel, to call them to repentance even though by the end of his career the Assyrians were going to come in and they were going to wipe out all of Israel within 30 years. That was his job, was to go and warn them, was to go and call them to repentance. It was this thankless task. He wasn't going to have a lot of podcast downloads. He wasn't going to have a lot of YouTube videos. He wasn't going to have a lot of people following his channel. He was going to be an impopular preacher Not only did these guys from the north not appreciate the fact that he was from the south. Remember, there was a bitter divide between the two kingdoms by this point. But they especially did not like his message of law and his message of repentance. Of course, that's all too familiar. That's a familiar story to us whenever it comes to these prophets. They would bring a message of law, a message of repentance, and the people would hate them for it. And they would often get killed. So throughout the northern kingdom's history, there were exactly zero righteous kings, zero kings who did what was right in the sight of the Lord, zero kings who actually walked with God in the north. Each new king repeated the errors of his predecessors, and then some. Each one would be more evil than the last king, and generation after generation saw God's people devolve into moral and religious degenerates. So under their first king, Jeroboam, Israel had set up two sanctuaries for worship in the cities of Dan and Bethel to rival the temple in Jerusalem. And you might say, well, that sounds pretty good. I mean, they need somewhere to go worship, but did God authorize them to set up those sanctuaries? No. Where was the sanctuary? Jerusalem. Now we're going to have our own sanctuaries, God. We're our own country now. So God had not authorized them to do that and they were already on shaky ground but to make matters worse to make matters worse they actually constructed two large golden calves to put one in each sanctuary in Dan and Bethel This type of stuff is called syncretism syncretism it's whenever you synchronize false worship idolatrous worship with true worship syncretism and it still goes on in our churches today anytime we try to take those ideas those concepts and even those idols from the culture and we try to integrate them into the teaching and practice of the church it just doesn't work and it invokes the wrath of god but here's a principle to live by false worship always begets corrupted morals False worship always begets corrupted morals. And that's what was going on here. By the time we get to Jeroboam II, who was 14 generations later, society in Israel had become insanely corrupt from the top all the way to the bottom. The rich got richer, the poor became poorer, and even the temple priests were in on the deal. In Amos chapter 7, the the prophet Amos calls out Amaziah, who was the priest at Bethel. Calls him out for his idolatrous practices. To go even further, there's this, um, there's this apocryphal tradition. So not really sure if this is biblical or not. It's apocryphal, it's tradition. So take it for what it's worth. But there's this idea, this tradition that suggests that, um, that Amaziah eventually had Amos tortured and put to death for his bothersome ministry. Either way, Amaziah was no fan of Amos but neither were those merchants who were attending the temple during the Sabbaths and the new moons. In those syncretistic sanctuaries, you had a bunch of merchants who were showing up for worship. And in our Old Testament, that is exactly who Amos rebukes. We have these corrupt merchants who have the veneer of religiosity. They had the respectable appearance of a faithful Israelite. They went to church and they were there every Sunday, but they made a dishonest living at the expense of the poor. So that's what's happening here. Here's what the text says. He says, Hear this, you who trample on the needy and bring the poor of the land to an end, saying, when will the new moon be over that we may sell grain and the Sabbath, that we may offer wheat for sale, that we make the ephah small and the shekel great and deal deceitfully with false balances, that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals and sell the chaff of the wheat. These merchants that Amos addresses were hucksters, on holy days. They were swindlers on the Sabbath. They attended worship in their sanctuaries on the appointed feast days, but it was a bother to them because in their minds, time was money. Time was money. According to the Mosaic law, all buying and selling was meant to cease on the Sabbath. The purpose of the Sabbath, of course, was to rest in God, to abstain from work and receive his benefits and his blessings. Now, under the new covenant, we're not bound to worship on any particular day, but we are still bound under the third commandment to sanctify the holy day, meaning we do not despise preaching and God's word, but hold it sacred and gladly hear and learn it. And by doing so, friends, we find our rest in God. But these guys, these guys were attending services, and here's what they were doing. They were checking their watches the entire time, okay? They didn't have watches, I know. It's 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 an illustration. But they would sing the psalms along with the rest of the people, but their minds were not on God and his gifts. It was on their shops. It was on how they could make more money. There are some scholars who actually speculate that the priest, Amaziah, that I talked about a minute ago, that that priest was in on the deal. That he would intentionally end the services shorter so that they could go out and they could make another buck. As long as they let him in on the cut. So he would give the benediction and they could rush out of there and they could go make more money. And not just make more money, but do it in the sketchiest ways possible. They were using faulty scales cheating people. They were mixing chaff with the wheat that they sold. They were even selling the poor into slavery for the cost of a pair of sandals. Someone couldn't afford a pair of shoes. Well, that's okay. You can be my slave. Poor people were willingly accepting that yoke upon themselves because they could not afford sandals. They could not afford shoes. And boy, was God mad. (laughs) Verse 7, the Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, surely I will never forget their deeds. But even though, friends, even though things got so bad that God would permit the Assyrians to come in decades later and drink Israel's milkshake, there remained a promise. There was always a promise. Though judgment would come, restoration would come. In Amos chapter 9, the prophet says, I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel, and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine, and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. Even though they had committed heinous idolatry, even though they had mixed up worship practices, false worship with true worship, even though it produced poisonous fruits in their lives and that they were shady businessmen, even though they oppressed, the poor, and the needy, God in his mercy would save a remnant from among his people and bring them back into their own land. He said that he would restore their fortunes. I don't believe that's a coincidence. I will restore their fortunes. He would restore them in such a way that they would no longer find their greatest treasure in material wealth and prosperity, such that they would no longer worship mammon, but that they would find their greatest treasure in him as he provided for all their material and spiritual needs. Now, for the unrepentant in the northern kingdom, God said that he would not forget any of their deeds, not one. And for the unrepentant in our day, God will not forget their deeds either. For those who take advantage of the poor, for those who make money their God, for those who forsake the only God in whom all treasures are to be found for the sake of materialistic pursuits, God will not forget. God has a long memory. And because that's true, my friends, it means that he will not forget his promise either. He is a God who remembers the poor the lowly, the despised and the neglected, the outcasts and the downtrodden. He has remembered his promise about the new Israel, a a new people for his own possession, a people for whom he would restore their fortunes. And for the sake of that promise, my friends, he sent Jesus, his treasured son, who for our sake became poor so that by his poverty we might become rich. Yes, for the unrepentant, he will not forget their wicked deeds. He will not forget those who serve mammon over the true God. But for those who acknowledge their own poverty, for you and I who repent, who admit that we are poor, miserable sinners in desperate need of his mercy, he has blotted out our sins through the blood of Jesus and he remembers them no more. In the waters of holy baptism, God has drowned your greed, your false worship, your neglect of the poor. He has drowned it all into the depths of the sea. By sprinkling the clean water of baptism upon you, he has cleansed you from all your uncleannesses. And he has put a new heart in you. He has put his spirit within you to cause you to walk in his ways, according to Ezekiel 36. And through the washing of water with the word, which is baptism, Jesus has wedded himself to you, giving you the guarantee that you will share with him in everything as a bride does with her bridegroom. He has made you one of his own in baptism, and he has given you this promise. He has said, I have called you by name. You are mine. And though you and I are often enchanted by all the fancy baubles and the trinkets and the gold and this and that in this world. We have a God who instead gives us something infinitely better. The inheritance that has been won through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. All the riches of the kingdom of God belong to us because Christ paid the debt that we could never owe. So that we would not be owned by anything, not even mammon. We're free. So how might you and I, the the treasured, baptized children of God, God's treasured possession, how might you and I live in this world of, of gross materialism and unchecked consumerism? We are not enslaved to those things. We do not have to live by them or under their tyranny. We know that we are the new Israel that God promised, that we are living under God's reign and rule as he provides for our needs, both materially and spiritually. And God works through his church, through the people in this room, to bring comfort and care to those who are in need, those who are poor and alone, those who are downcast and downtrodden. We bring them Jesus. Because in Jesus alone are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge that is eternal life. And only in him are we set free from the idol of mammon. And only in him are we given true provision. The daily bread that meets our bodily needs. And the daily bread of his body and blood that will be here in just a moment. To grant us life everlasting in his kingdom. And the peace of Christ which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.